good morning. We are continuing. Pick up my glasses. Uh, we are continuing in our sermon series uh, on the hope of heaven. And this week we are looking to the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21 and first portion of Revelation 22. As we prepare to look there, though, I think it's important for us to deal with with a few introductory matters first. Uh, the first introductory matter I'd like to deal with is uh, the order of this series. <laughs> Last week we we looked to the intermediate state, a state marked by by the separation of of body and soul, uh, whereby the soul was made perfect in holiness and and immediately passes into glory into the presence of Jesus. It was sort of a um, an outline that we saw in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 37. I, I read that for you last week, and I talked about that next question, question 38, that, that asks then, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? It's a pointer to the final resurrection that will come at Jesus' second coming. Now, if we looked at the chronology of our future state, as best I understand it, and I submit that to you humbly, resurrection and judgment would come prior to the new heavens and the new earth. But having talked about the intermediate state last week, I felt it appropriate for us to look now to our eternal state, to the new heavens and the new earth this week. Next week, we will then look to resurrection and judgment. After that, We'll look to uh, the resurrected body. We'll look to resurrected work. We'll look to resurrected worship. And then finally, uh, we will close out this sermon series by looking to First Peter 1 and our call to, um, to wait in hope. Second, though, of introductory matters, I want to speak briefly about imagery in Revelation. We're going to read a passage from Revelation 21. It is rich in, in imagery and, and symbolism, and it, it paints a picture of glorious truths, too glorious, too wonderful for our finite minds to comprehend. Where are those lines between the the literal pictures we see and the symbolic pictures we see, I confess that I don't always know when I'll do my best to present them to you. But when I come to this passage, as I do when I come to all of the Word of God, I feel small. That is good. I pray as we look to this text that you too will feel small because you with me are caught up with a sense of awestruck wonder look to this text and we confess as we do in all of the word that it is true even when I don't understand it. So we come under the authority of the word of God. Lastly, this is a picture of glory. Now yes, it is glorious. 
But it is a picture of the final state, glory, the consummation of God's grand story of redemption. So in other words, all of Scripture converges here. We don't have time this day or this year, quite frankly, to show how all of Scripture points us to this passage. We need to know that all of Scripture informs our text today. Stories have endings. This story is a glorious ending, but this ending is also the beginning. It's a long passage, beautiful, and I pray that as you receive it, that the glory of God would wash over you. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. 
The wall was built of jasper. Well, the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. First was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, all the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory of the, and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were the, for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. And His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Would you bow with me? Father, your word is glorious. Your word points us to a glorious place, but the glory of that place is marked by your presence. It is the destiny for all those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I pray that this day you would reveal yourself to us. We might see your glory and your grace. That you would work out your plan in us as you draw us deeper into abiding faith in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. What are you longing for? We just read a beautiful passage. How does that passage connect to your longings? Do your longings shape the way that you think about heaven? How about eternity? your longings connect to the way that you have viewed eternity? Does a 
child, I remember lying awake at night, terrified by the prospect of eternity. I'm not talking about terrified by hell, though that was terrifying and is terrifying. No, I remember lying awake at night, overwhelmed by the vastness of eternity. Thought of everlasting life as endless life. I couldn't grasp it. I couldn't grasp eternity as endlessness. It was too much. Can you relate? Picture that we've just been given. The new heavens and the new earth. It is more than a picture of endlessness. It is a picture of fullness. It is a picture of life in its fullness. Life as it was designed. It is a picture of new life when all things will be made new. Others have helped me see this, but when Jesus here and uh, in the text says, I am making all things new, he did not say, I am making all new things. He said, I'm making all things new. There is a vital difference between the two. This picture of glory that God is giving us in his word, it is not a cosmic do-over. It is not God saying, let's scrap it all and try again. (laughs) This is the culmination of redemption. This is the completion of God's story of restoration. This is His new order. Not new in kind or new in next, but but new in quality. That means that there is a combination of continuity and discontinuity between what we experience now and what we will experience then. That notion of continuity and discontinuity is fundamental to our covenantal theology. It it helps us understand the connection between the Old and New Testaments. There's continuity and discontinuity between the Old and New. We will celebrate it in the second service as we Celebrate the sacrament of baptism. There's discontinuity and continuity between circumcision and baptism, just as there is between Passover and the Lord's Supper that we will celebrate at the end of this service. As you think about that continuity and discontinuity, though, maybe a couple of illustrations will be helpful. This week, someone revealed a picture of me and my high school graduation. (laughs) And I was shocked to know that people didn't recognize who that young man was. (laughs) Doesn't it look just like this? There was continuity and discontinuity. It was the same guy, but a lot less hair. Discontinuity. That illustration falls down on several fronts. The connection between that picture and this face is one that is marked by gradual decay. (laughs) It is 
to aging faster. And so Paul offers a different illustration in Scripture. It's the illustration of a kernel of wheat that is placed in the ground, buried in the ground, but it is raised up as a, as a fully mature plant. It's buried as one kind. It, it is raised as something that is connected, yet something that is totally new. We'll come back to that imagery in a few weeks as we look to the resurrected body and look to 1 Corinthians 15, but it is the same picture of the resurrected creation. The new heavens and the new earth is the new order. It, it is a place that where we will experience life that is new, that is full. It is a new that represents a fundamental qualitative transformation. And yet there is connection to the old. Scripture tries to capture that in this blend of, of, of symbolic imagery and literal pictures. One example of that connection and how it paints a picture of the old and the new might be in this description of, of there being no seed. I don't believe that the Scripture is telling us that there will be no more bodies of water in the new heavens and the new earth. But the sea in all of Scripture, and specifically in Revelation, represents chaos, rebellion, danger. None of which have any place in the new heavens and the new earth. But God does have a place in the new heavens and the new earth. His presence is primary. We see that in this text. You've heard me talking about it. We'll hear me continuing to preach on God's promise. A promise where He says throughout all of Scripture, I will be their God and they will be my people. It is the promise that runs throughout all of Scripture and it comes to a glorious fulfillment here. As we see the outworking of His gathering together for Himself a people. Verse 3 tells us, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. You hear echoes of that promise that runs throughout Scripture, and you see blessed, glorious fulfillment of it all. We'll come back to that concept of with, that withness, as we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks. But we need to see here is with, is, a, is with physical Jesus. It is to be physically in His presence. And there in His presence, He will comfort His people. This picture of Jesus reversing the curse. Verse 4, he, he comforts his people by wiping away every tear 
from their eyes with his tender, loving care. And then in verse 6, it is his personal provision. He invites those who are thirsty to come to the water of life without payment. Again, this is not endless life. It's not merely endless life. It is that, but it is more. It is the fullness of life that God has designed for His people to be experienced in this new order. One marked by renewal. Marked by presence with Jesus and the comfort that is brought by Jesus. Does that imagery, does that reality connect to your longing? Might it shape your longing? We ain't done. We're just starting to explore this text and what it means. This is what you and I were created for and what those who are in Christ will experience in the new heavens and new earth. We will experience it in a physical place. Speaks of the New Jerusalem. But what is the New Jerusalem? Is it a city? We hear that. We hear the description. We think of a city, but but in 21 9, the angel describes the New Jerusalem as the bride, the wife of the Lamb. The bride. This people that we see here in Revelation 21 is a people, a bride that has been adorned for her husband. Adorned with beautiful jewels. They are described here in this text. But that adornment ultimately is the adornment of holiness. That adornment is the work of the groom. I told you that all of Scripture is converging on this text. Ephesians 5 describes that work of the groom and, and tells the earthly husbands that we are to follow Christ's lead. Ephesians 5 tells us the work of the groom is to sanctify his bride, and Jesus did just that, sanctified his bride, having cleansed her with the washing of the water that is the word, that he might present her to himself in splendor. Did you hear the description of splendor here in this text? The new Jerusalem, the beauty of the bride perfected. That adornment, particularly in the book of Revelation, is set as against city Babylon, the worldly city, the city that is adorned not in holiness, but in her sin and vulgarity. That's the contrast that we have. The contrast is presented here in this text as we see the people of God, this radiant bride, is coming down out of heaven, radiant bride, the people, but it is also a fulfillment 
of all of Scripture. Back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, we see that the church is the dwelling place of God. There, the Word tells us that in Him, in Christ, you also, you being the church, you are being built together as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See the storylines coming together? Do you see the storylines converging here? We look back to the old we see the tabernacle, the, the tent that was constructed in the wilderness wandering. That tabernacle was to represent the place of God's dwelling among his people. But there in Jerusalem, the tabernacle was replaced by the temple. But Ephesians is telling us that the temple is replaced by the church. And here, the text we see that church finds its fulfillment in the city the city of god that is the city temple it's the convergence of people and place i believe that this picture of the new jerusalem is just that it's that convergence between the people of god and the place of god yes there is symbolism here but it is also a very real beautified people and place. So what are the markers of this place in this passage? Well, first, it's physical. The new heavens and the new earth, solid. It's tangible. It's physical. It is, it is a redeemed, resurrected earth. The earth that finally finds the redemption that it is groaning for. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. We ask, what is heaven like? One pastor said that his people had asked that question, what is heaven like? Well, it is like this, only better, redeemed, renewed, and more glorious. Do you love creation? Do you love mountains? Do you love rivers? You will love the new heavens and new earth, but you will be freed from the sinful temptation to worship that creation because you will be with the Creator enjoying Love cities. Regardless of what you think now about cities, this city has been marked by the presence of God and the presence of the people of God. Be radiant with beauty. Be weighty with glory. Glory, the word in Scripture, actually means weighty. It means substantial. Did you hear it in the measurements of this city? The New Jerusalem is vast. 12,000 stadia, that is 1,400 miles. Cubed, not squared. We're not talking about square miles. We're talking about miles cubed. It also represents the height of the city. This is vast in its dimensions. It is safe. Walls. 144 cubits. That's 200 feet. It is flanked on every side by 12 gates. Three gates at each side, each guarded 
by an angel of the Lord. And yet there is no threat of danger. Waiting for this. All of these measurements, they're multiples of 12. That may be literal, it may be symbolic, I am not sure. But either way, it represents the perfection of God's people and God's place. And in the convergence of people and place, there is a convergence of comfort, of presence, of provision. throne of God is in the city, in the midst of the city, and emanating from that throne is the river of life. With the tree of life on either side of the river, it is both a symbol of and a substance, a sustenance for the eternal life that is our fullness of life in Christ. Friends, this is a picture of the new Eden. The eternity that awaits those who are in Christ. It is a kingdom that is unshakable. Hebrews 12 would tell us. And so who is present in the new Jerusalem? Or maybe better said, who is this new Jerusalem? Revelation 21 verse 7 tells us that it is the conquerors who have been made new. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What does it mean to conquer? Some hear that word and think to themselves that it means the winners. <laughs> you are here and you struggle with competency. Struggle with worthiness, then perhaps that word or that notion of that word fuels your fears. But to conquer doesn't mean to win a competition. It does not refer to the most righteous in the group. Because the word of God tells us that none are righteous, no, not one, at least in our own standing. To conquer is to overcome. It is persevere that is a theme that is running throughout revelation and running throughout scripture but what are we to conquer actually verse 8 helps us understand verse 8 says but as for the cowardly the faithless the detestable as for murderers the sexually immoral sorcerers idolaters and all liars their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. To conquer is to conquer our own personal struggle with sin. And in the context of Revelation, where we are given a word that is not meant to tell us all the sequence of events that are coming, but instead to encourage the persecuted church to remain steadfast in Christ this is an encouragement not to compromise our faith even during persecution, a persecution that often presents itself in terms of a temptation to sin. To conquer is to persevere in the struggle against sin and to persevere in faith. 
It's that list. Who is that list describing? Me. And you. The cowardly. The faithless. The detestable. Yes, even the murderers and the sexually immoral. Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Who is this warning? Me. And you. And so where is our hope? If our hope is to persevere in the fight against this description of sin, where is our hope? Our hope is in Jesus. Jesus is the conqueror. Jesus is the one who has conquered on our behalf. Jesus is the only perfectly righteous one. And by faith, we are united to Him. By faith, we live in union with Christ. And so in Him, we have conquered sin. In Him, we persevere to the end. In Him, we are more than conquerors. In Him, we have hope. And in Him alone, we have the hope of heaven. But in Him, we are to continue in this fight against sin. In Him, we are to heed the call to persevere. Practically, what does that mean? It means that we are to live this life with a focus on the weightiness of heaven. I ask you, are you willing to let go of your grasp on this world? Are you willing to let go of the weightiness of worldliness? In pursuit of a greater glory. The spirit is willing. And yet the flesh is weak. And so in this struggle. Might you be willing to pray. For the strength to conquer in Christ. Verse 27 reminds us in the culmination of this description that those conquerors they conquer by grace because they are the elect of God those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life make no mistake about it there is no name in that book that has earned their way there it is only those who have been loved by God from before the foundation of this earth, who have been chosen, who have been blessed, who have become the recipients of God's grace, and who have taken hold of it by faith. And those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life represent the nations, Jew and Gentile alike, whom the Lord has called to himself. Us who are in Christ, and He will see us to the end, and so keep your eyes upon Jesus. We see by faith now, but in glory our faith will become 
sight. Ephesians 2.4 says that they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. We're going to continue over the next few weeks looking to the word of God to unpack as best we can our understanding of the hope of heaven. We, we're all curious what will this place be like. We want to know and we'll explore as best we can from the word of God what God has told us, what he has revealed to us about heaven but as much as we try to answer the question of what is that place like what will we do in heaven we must not miss that the greatest blessing that we will experience there is the blessing of beholding our savior's glory and that glory is what will sustain us in the here and now in 1857 a lady by the name of ann cousins took the notes from her pastor, the great Puritan preacher Samuel Rutherford, notes that he had made on Revelation 22.4, and she, she captured them in the words of a song, The Sands of Time Are Sinking. And those lyrics beautifully capture the blessing of seeing the face of Jesus and how in his presence even our own resurrected glory will fade into the background along with the glory of the resurrected creation. It is a glimpse that will sustain us. I leave you with the closing stanzas. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. Oh, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He brings a poor, vile sinner into his house of wine. I stand upon his merit. I know no other stand, not even where glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. Father, sustain us to this picture. Build our anticipation for, for the vision of your glory. The glory that we will behold as we come face to face with Jesus Christ, our Savior. Until that time, sustain us. Until that time, draw your bride to yourself. Make her beautiful. Make her holy. Make her holy. In Christ's name.